0: well good morning church y'all look so good today it's nice to have you guys here Um, it's been a good weekend so far right so far we had a pretty good football weekend right y'all know y'all know I love my Longhorns but I just want to give a shout out to a couple of other teams which I normally don't do so write this down Uh, Baylor that's right had a a big win Um, I mean the team they played but anyway and then um, Aggies, y'all, I don't usually say Gigamaggies, Aggies, but I did because they were playing Miami and I, mm-mm. so Gigamaggies, it was a good football weekend, right? So this has also been a really great weekend week for our staff. Um, they are all in Nashville this weekend, this whole week at this really awesome conference. Um, we've been live streaming it from home this week and it's phenomenal, phenomenal. Y'all, last night Christine came preached. She was amazing, amazing, and I'm so excited that they get to be there, that they get to be refreshed, that God gets gets to speak new things into their life and birth new dreams to them. So um, let's take time today to pray over them, to thank God for this opportunity that we can send them away to be refreshed and to come back ready to pour into all of us, right? That's just, it's, I'm so grateful that they get to be there. Um, If I could get you all to stand one more time this morning in honor of reading God's word, Our text this morning is found in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, and it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Heavenly Father, we invite you here this morning. We invite you to saturate the walls of this sanctuary and the walls of our heart today. Father, you have a word today that honestly isn't a word that I'm really super excited to share, but I know, I know it's from you. God, I ask today that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, let it be pleasing to you, God. And Father, I pray specifically today for our staff as they are um, just being filled and refreshed. Father, I ask that you give them new visions, Father, I ask that anything that is tired has been restored and renewed in the name of Jesus, that they will come back with excitement, that they will come back renewed with new purpose, new vision for all of us. Jesus, I ask that you give them all safe travel and that you just let us be a recipient of what you've done through them. In Jesus' name, amen. You can all be seated. So I just have a question, and, and I know because I can already tell there's some of you that have already um, made sure to get your special dose of happiness today, but do we have any coffee drinkers in the house? Coffee drinkers in the house. Well, oh, look, in the back row, we got some big coffee drinkers, but y'all, I just have to tell you that in my house, um, out of the five of us, there's three coffee drinkers. I will tell you, my husband and I are not the coffee drinkers. Um, not at all. I love the smell, but beyond that, yeah. Um, one, of my, one of my coffee drinkers, he likes coffee. He enjoys it occasionally. I have another coffee drinker that really likes coffee. Um, it's not, like, necessary to his lifeblood, but really enjoys coffee. And then I have another coffee drinker. And, y'all, she's extra, so... <laughs> she so extra no problem i call her i call her my my bougie coffee drinker because she's not just like oh i love coffee and and i need coffee but y'all if she doesn't have her coffee we will literally say to her have you had your coffee yet because it's just not fun to hang around with this individual if she hasn't had her coffee yet right and she she uses words like french press and pour over. And the latest is it has to be Nespresso. Do you know we went on vacation and had to bring the Nespresso maker to make sure that we had the right kind of coffee? Yeah, yeah. So this is the kind of coffee drinkers that we have. And when I was thinking, oh, when I was thinking about this today, I was thinking, what are some of the weirdest coffee orders baristas have ever had? Because I've heard of some weird ones. And before I say what these are, my coffee drinker, I'm required to put this disclaimer in there, uh, my coffee drinker would like me to note that none of these are drinks that she would order. (laughs) Okay, all right, so the first one, and y'all, it's gonna kind of make you sick to your stomach. (laughs) Actually, I hope it makes you sick to your stomach because they sound kind of nasty to me. Okay, the first one, a venti pumpkin spice latte, which that doesn't sound bad, right? But wait, with eight shots of espresso, Seven pumps of pumpkin sauce and one pump of maple pecan sauce. Yeah. How about this one? A venti coffee frappuccino with two scoops of ice, five pumps of frapp roast, and double blended. Okay. Um, here's another one now. A venti salted caramel mocha frappuccino with five pumps of frap four pumps of caramel sauce, four pumps of caramel syrup, three pumps of mocha, three pumps of toffee nut syrup, double blended with extra whipped cream. (coughs) Is there coffee in there? I just, I just want to know. This is one I see because I'm not a coffee drinker. My, I just have to tell you on the side, my husband hates to go to Starbucks because he says ordering from the menu makes him feel stupid. Because why isn't there just small, medium, large? Why does it have to be all these names, right? And he will on purpose never use a correct name because he's like that's ridiculous anyway but when i was doing all my research i found a, a trenta does anybody know what a trenta is yeah the coffee drinkers in here trenta is like the super super size of all coffees and um a trenta iced coffee with cream 20 pumps of raspberry and 20 pumps of white mocha Wow. whoa and i just have one question what happened to coffee What happened to plain old coffee? Do you remember? And I know I'm gonna age myself here, but whatever. What happened to going to IHOP or Denny's or does anybody remember Jim's? Right, they'd bring you the coffee and the cups the size of a thimble, And if you were fancy, you're gonna put the good cream in there and maybe sweet and low, maybe sugar, just depending on your taste. That was coffee. That's coffee. But I have to wonder, who was the person that decided, hey, let's throw a little syrup in there and see what happens. Let's put a little action in there and see. Probably somebody that really loves coffee. They wanted to up their game, make it a little more interesting. Let's throw some whipped cream on top. Okay, I can see you, but 20 pumps of anything seems excessive to me, right? Doesn't it seem like a lot? And I was really wondering when I was looking at all these different coffee drinks. And I, I think the idea at some point was good, but when they released that there was a secret menu. It was all over, right? It's sort of like a secret menu. Everybody has to look. What's on that secret menu and can I have it? I just got to read you one more just so you know it gets worse. A Trenta vanilla sweet cream cold brew with two pumps of vanilla, three pumps of caramel syrup, two pumps of cinnamon dolce syrup, two pumps of hazelnut, two pumps of toffee nut syrup, oh, two pumps of mocha, two pumps of white mocha, two pumps of pumpkin sauce, three pumps of maple pecan syrup, and five shots of espresso. There's no coffee in there anymore. What's happened is the coffee has been deconstructed, right? Deconstructed is a really big word right now, right? Have you, have you guys heard of when people deconstruct food? Yeah. I watched a video on deconstructed PB&J and laughed till I cried. I could not even, I was going to make a deconstructed PB&J, but y'all, it took them four hours. Not not happening. I don't even spend four hours in my own kitchen. I'm not going to do that for this. It was crazy. Everybody's deconstructing everything. It's a really big thing to take what is just foundational and turn it into something that's not. And in our culture today deconstruction is a super popular word it's a super popular movement and this movement they will tell you they're deconstructing the practice tradition belief or system into similar components and it's for the purpose of examining their foundation truthfulness youthfulness usefulness youthfulness usefulness and impact well it sounds good sounds good right Because as Christians, we're actually called to deconstruct. Daily, we're called to deconstruct. And that's how the deconstruction movement actually started. And in its concept, it can be extremely helpful to us in our lives as believers. In many ways, we deconstruct a passage of scripture all the time. Anytime there's a speaker up here, you can guarantee they have deconstructed the text that God's given them. We're going over it. We're studying the grammar and the syntax. We want to know what each of those words mean. We're deconstructing it to make sure we understand the full meaning of the scripture. And when it's done in the subjection of the authority of scripture, the concept of deconstruction is incredible. When it's healthy, Deconstruction can lead to the uncovering of personal beliefs um, not supported by scripture, right? Sometimes we're like, oh, that didn't sound like God. And because we took the time to deconstruct what we were feeling, we heard what God's word was saying. And it can lead to a stronger, more mature faith with new clarity of a relationship with our creator. But there's a problem. What has happened is modern deconstruction has sold this magnifying glass that we all used to use to observe the intricate craftsmanship of God's word. And we would take it and we would break it down. We wanted to know what everything meant, not to tear it apart, but to know more. And they took it and they traded it in for a wrecking ball. But the wrecking ball doesn't look quite like a wrecking ball. It's shiny, it's impressive, it's on this really expensive crane, right? It looks cool. Ooh, I want to be a part of that. And the wrecking ball hangs, and everybody says, "Look at all the new things I can do with this new tool." And this crane comes in, and it obliterates the pillars of God's truth. The thing that we used as a magnifying glass is now a wrecking ball that has taken. A crane, and it has released it into what we know is truth, and it has wrapped it up in a pretty bow, and it makes you feel good, and it makes you feel like you're really connecting. But the truth is it's a lie. And I believe there's several common denominators among these testimonies of why people deconstruct. The first one, so when I was doing All of my research for this sermon, I took some time to... There's a lot of podcasts out there of people who are deconstructing, deconstructing. 100% across the board, these are people who are broken and are hurting. They need our compassion, not our condemnation. They need our prayer. They need people speaking truth and life and hope to them. Because I guarantee you behind every single person... There is a massive hurt that caused them to feel like they had to deconstruct from the belief and the teachings of Jesus Christ. Before we go any further, we have to know that we always have to come from a place of compassion because that's what Jesus did for all of us. The second thing is they have a low view of the Bible. They've emphasized their personal feelings over biblical mandate. Their feeling was more important than what the Bible said. They shifted the truth of the gospel message from sin and redemption to the output output of a transformed heart. Things like social justice, social reform, all of these things that are important became more important than what God's word says. We have got to get to a place that we're willing to be uncomfortable, to withhold, to uphold God's word no matter the cost. We have to be. People take offense at the doctrine of penal substitution. That means that all people, all people are sinners with sin that can only be atoned for that by the perfect substitute who is Jesus Christ. We sing about it today. There is only one way. And the world wants to find a hundred different ways. There is only one way. One way, one truth. There is only one way. And in a world that refuses to settle anymore for one way, that's incredibly uncomfortable for people. Right? I want a lot of options. Look at the Starbucks orders. Right? How many different options of Christianity can we come up with that make me feel comfortable? Christianity is never about being comfortable. It's never been about being comfortable. On the personal spiritual background front, the common denominators among deconstructions are these. Holding a faulty understanding of Christianity. They use Jesus as a springboard to something else. The something else could be like a peaceful life, success, acceptance among a community. Um, And they rarely confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. If If you follow any of them, they rarely will say that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. More frequently, these people describe a vague, just this vague, sentimental idea of Jesus. Like they, they like, they like the feeling that they get when, you know, they come to a worship service. But they're not going to be in a worship service very often because, you know, they don't really want to fellowship with believers. And they assume that knowing a lot about God is the same thing as knowing God. Right? People who make this assumption forget that the sign of one who knows and is known by Jesus is to do his will. That's it, bottom line. You want to know a Jesus follower? Look at their fruit. Right? Does their fruit smell good? Is it producing good smelling fruit? Or is it rotten? Does it stink? Does it not walk in peace? You're going to know these things. Our text today highlights the wise man and the foolish man. Both built houses, probably good houses, pretty houses. They could both be on HGTV. But the difference was the foundation. One was built on a stone foundation, a secure foundation. The other was built on sand, ever shifting, ever changing. Faith built on the foundation of God's word is never changing. It is the constant. It is the only secure foundation. But here's the kicker. We talked earlier. We know that as Christians, we are called to deconstruct. We're called to deconstruct. We're called to question the things we're told to believe. Isn't that funny a lot of people think no this person said it like my favorite one of my favorite pastors to listen to is christine kane stephen furtick I, oh man y'all i fangirl over preachers but y'all my final word is going to be what does god's word say not to, what does stephen furtick say not what does christine Cain say what does god's word say about it and we're told hold everything up to this if it does not fall through this, it doesn't get to come through. The world, culture, media, all come to us 24 hours a day with an agenda that is not from God. And we have to reprogram every day. But how do we do that? The first way is we have to know where is your foundation. That's our first, our first point. We're surrounded with constant distractions constant and more socially acceptable watered down versions of who god's word is and what he says about it that float around right this version tells us that god's word is hate-filled socially unjust and fear-based It tells us that this version, their version, the deconstructionist version is full of kindness and acceptance, and you do what makes you happy. The Bible tells us when Jesus looks at you and make no mistake, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. He sees you in the fullness of you. There is no difference between you or anyone else. He looks at you and he sees you and there is nothing in the world, I believe in our culture, more dangerous than the idea of do what makes you happy. I had a conversation with someone a couple weeks ago. And they were telling me about a situation. And you guys, I'm going to be completely honest. I have said this before. I just want, I you know, I might not agree with that, but I just want them to be happy. And this person said this to me and I got home and I just could not shake that. And I didn't didn't know why, why can't I shake that? Because I've said that before. And then I was reminded that someday, someday we're all gonna stand before God all together. And these people in my life that I love, that I just want to be happy, will stand before God someday. They're going to stand before a God that loves them, but says, you you can't be here with me because I can't be in the presence of sin. And what if that person that I love, that I just wanted to be happy, looked at me and said, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? And the truth was, I didn't want to be uncomfortable in a moment I didn't want to offend in a moment. This concept of offense is breaking down who we are as believers. And we are called to speak the uncomfortable sometimes into lives because we love them. Not because we want them to be happy. The greatest happiness will be sitting at Jesus' feet for eternity, worshiping our Savior. That's that's where it's at. Everything comes through the filter of love. What does love require of me in this moment? And sometimes love will require you to have an uncomfortable conversation because you love them. Here's the cool thing. God made it really easy for us to figure out what is his word saying what doesn't. He gave us this blueprint. One of my favorite scriptures is Philippians 4.8. And it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's really easy. God gave you a filter. And he said, here's your filter. If it's not these things, That's not from me here's what this looks like in our current culture culture currently tells us now i'm just this is a quote culture tells us that sexual purity is a man-made misogynistic ideal created to influence women into a lesser agenda and shouldn't we err on the side of grace and inclusivity rather than the side of condemnation this is just one one area here's what god's word says hebrews 13 4 says let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for god will judge the sexually sexually immoral and adulterous first thessalonians 4 3 says for this is the will of god your sanctification That you abstain from sexual immorality Galatians 519 says now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality impurity and sensuality y'all this is just one issue every issue that's out there culturally socially whatever it is that you're confused about hold it up to the standard of what God's Word says if it doesn't fall through that filter it is not from him and it needs to be taken captive and put where it belongs that is not for us. That is not from God. God has wants things for you that are good. That's what his word tells us. He says, I want a good life for you. A life where you live a life full of purpose. Not a life full of confusion. God never intended that for any of us. And he despises what the world has twisted his word into. The second point I have today is you are not an island. This is a big one. Pastor Kerry uh, spoke last week about the importance of community. And as a church, we're emphasizing right now the importance of doing life together, right? We understand how important. Josh and I, uh, my husband and I, we, have been, we were connect group leaders I don't even know how many years, like eight? I don't know, it was a lot, a lot of time. But I can tell you, The people in our Connect group changed our lives. Beautiful disasters. Y'all, they changed our lives. They changed our lives because not only do we get to speak into theirs, but they spoke into ours. We adore them. They are my two o'clock in the morning phone call. I know who's gonna pray for me, and when they pray for me, they're not gonna stop. They're not gonna stop until I call them and say, okay, I'm all good. right? Those are the people that we have to do life with. And if you have not signed up for a connect group, this is just a, a little plug here. Do it. Be a part. We need you. Our church is not complete without you here in it. And if this pandemic taught us anything, it that Satan figured out, I'm going to use this isolation thing. Ooh, this is a good one. I'm going to use this as a weapon. And I'm going to take this isolation And I'm going to tell these people all these things and I'm going to whisper things to them. I'm going to take all the things that they've kind of worried about in the back of their mind. I'm going to take it and I'm going to make it forefront in their minds. All the lies that maybe you believed, you kind of just push those buttons, right? Told you you were alone, that no one cared about you. You were just doing this life by yourself anyway. Nobody would care if you got sick. Who would come and help you? We're all supposed to be by ourselves anyway. Right? It's really easy to get caught up in that thinking, and Satan took it. and He was like, ooh, I'm going to twist that knife a little further. Right? It is the most dangerous thing, the most dangerous thing for us to get caught up in a spirit of isolation. Because what happens is you think you're not protected any longer. And when you isolate yourself, you're not. We were meant to be surrounded by each other. We were meant to circle those wagons. When one brother or sister is hurting, we are meant to be the ones that hold their arms up. And when you choose to isolate yourself and be alone, no one knows and no one can hold you up. When um, when the pandemic was kind of just escalating 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 and you kept thinking it was going to end and then it just never did and then you started to see all of the other things that came along with it a lot of hurt and it came in the middle of an election cycle i mean the timing could not have been better right the timing could not have been better for so much hurt for so many, so many things to be taken out of context because you can't sit across the table from anybody to say, well, this is really what my heart meant by that. The devil knew. So Josh and I sat there and watched it for a while, and then we purposed in our hearts and minds, we were not gonna isolate. We were not gonna isolate like that because we didn't feel that was God. So we reached out to two sets of our friends who we knew were practicing, you know, safe social distancing and those kinds of things because we wanted to use wisdom but at the same time we also wanted to use godly wisdom for our spiritual lives and so every saturday for over a year these friends would come to our house every saturday night and we'd play games and we would talk we would talk about a lot of things y'all we intentionally One of our set of our friends believed different than us politically. And we intentionally made sure that we were pouring in and they were pouring in this whole time because we refused to let Satan get a foothold in that relationship. I refused for one minute to have Satan take anything out of context. I wanted to remind these people of who God said I was and who God said they were. And that no person in Washington, D.C. was going to take away this friendship that God had given me and God had ordained in my life. These people also did something else to me. These are the people that I know. Come hell or high water are going to pray for me. And not just pray for me, they're going to hold my feet to the fire. They're going to remind me who God says I am. And y'all, we had some tough times during that season of our life. Most people don't know this, but right before the pandemic, my husband had lost his job. We weren't worried about it. He was laid off. No worries. No worries. It's all good. He's got a great resume. It's not going to be a problem. God took care of us financially with a, a severance package. We were going to be fine. Two years later, no job, not feeling so fine, right? But these people were the people that held us up, that reminded us of who God was, that he was Jehovah Jireh. They were the ones that said, this is not the end of your story. This is just the beginning of watching God do new things, new seasons, birthing new dreams in your life. These are the, This is what they spoke over us. And man, what if we'd have missed it? Because we bought into we needed to be isolated. That we let Satan tell us for one minute that we had to be isolated. You can use wisdom and still, still be where you're supposed to be. So today, can I ask you, as you're evaluating what you're building your life on, as you you deconstruct from harmful worldviews, Who are you surrounding yourself with? Are they believers? That's the first one. Are they believers? There's this quote that says, you are like the five people you most spend, the five people you spend the most time with, choose wisely. That's good, because I was like, one, two, three, four, five. right? You want to know. You want to know. Tori, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm going to tell on you. Tori said to me her job, she works from home. She goes, I only hang out with you guys. What does that mean? And I'm like, you're weird. That's what it means. (laughs) The second thing is, is are these people going to hold you accountable? Real friends are going to hold you accountable. Real friends are going to ask you the uncomfortable questions. These people believe in you. And they believe in what God has spoken over your life, and they will settle for nothing less than that for you. Get yourself those friends, those friends who know you. And then the third one, this is a big one are they peace carriers? I like to say, surround yourself with people that make you feel like you're standing in sunshine on a really cold day. You know what I'm talking about? Those people that you're like, oh, yes. Surround yourself with those people that make you feel like that. Many of the people going through deconstruction are leaning on a community that they discovered online to help them find their truth. They're counting on strangers who have their own personal agendas, baggage and issues who do not know them personally, to love us or share our highest and best dreams and to provide sound loving counsel as we wrestle with some really hard stuff. You're not an island. You are not an island. You are not an island. You are so integral to not just this body, but where God has placed you. You are not an island. Don't give in to that isolation. Don't give in to that fear that tells you you have to be isolated. You are so necessary to God's plan don't isolate yourself and next the big one take every thought captive every thought our thought life can be either our greatest weapon or our greatest downfall I'm laughing because I have thoughts even today thoughts that were like all over the map right and I had to let them fall through the filter we just talked about God's what is your word say? second corinthians 10 5 says we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god and take every thought captive to obey christ i love that scripture this is from the esv in case you're wondering what version because i really love that we destroy it we're not messing around because we don't have time we don't have time to mess around every opinion and every thought is taken captive Woo! what if we took every opinion captive would we have anything to talk about anymore i mean really because we got a lot of opinions i do um but we take those thoughts we take those opinions we take all of these different things and we hold them up to the light of god's word and we say holy spirit is this you and if it's not then we destroy it because that's what we are told we get to do we get to destroy it. Here's a few ways to help you take thoughts captive. First thing, you have to accept responsibility for your thoughts. Personal responsibility seems to have gone by the wayside, and I say we need to pick it back up, right? It's time for us to say I'm going to have some personal responsibility about the thoughts in my mind. You have the ability to exercise control over your thoughts. God has given us the ability of self-control. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Frankly, it's one of the fruits of the spirit that we all have a hard time with. I am not discluded from that. God warned Cain to focus his mind on right things. But Cain chose to think about wrong things, anger and jealousy, which led to him murdering his brother. Are you willing to admit that you can, with God's help, regain control of your thoughts? To press in and say, God, I need help with self-control. It's really cool to watch what God does when you choose to be vulnerable in a moment and say, God, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I'm lacking. And he's like, I got you. I got you. And then the second thing is your mind, not just your behavior. It has to change. Your mind has to change. Your mind. Because your behavior can say one thing, but if your mind doesn't change, it doesn't even matter. Right? Right? Your actions can look beautiful, but inside you could have the ugliest mind thinking really ugly thoughts that are not from God. Your mind has to change, and God calls us to change sinful behavior that does not honor Him. Instead of focusing on our outward behavior, work on disciplining your mind. Your mind. That's where your behavior stems from is your mind. And allow God to transform you by the renewing of your mind. There's something really cool that happens every night when you sleep. Y'all, I just think this is the coolest thing. When you're sleeping, did you know that every night, 1,400 neurons are created in your brain? Every night, brand new. Brand new neurons. 1,400 new soldiers to line up for new orders. Here's the even cooler thing. These neurons are not programmed. They have no idea about what went on yesterday. So they have to be reprogrammed every day. Every day. They don't know what you like to eat. They don't know who you voted for. They don't know how you feel about your neighbor. They're just... Empty vessels waiting to be filled. We have the opportunity every day to transform our minds. You guys, how cool is that? That God said, hey, science, watch this. We're going to work together. Even though the world likes to tell us they don't. Yes, they do. God's word and science lines up across the board. Across the board. Romans 12 two says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will in Romans. Before they ever knew about brain activity and brain waves, they were already talking about the renewing of your mind. Because every night God is giving us an opportunity to transform our minds. To say we are going to choose what goes in those neurons. We're going to choose what power God's given us. What power God's given us to say this, this will be the agenda that I have. Your agenda, Jesus. I have this sticky note at work, and I have it on my computer, and I always put it there in the very middle of my screen every, every day. At the end of the day, I'll put it in the middle of the screen so it's the first thing I see when I come in, and it says 1,400 neurons. Because I want to remind myself, I get to pick. I get to choose what goes into my mind. No weapon formed against me will prosper because that's what God says. Hey, neurons, did you get that? Did you get that today? I am a daughter of the king. Hey, neuron, did you get that? I will walk in his truth and in his love and in his faithfulness and in his goodness because that's who God is. I don't need to deconstruct anything. Imagine if the first thing you did in the morning was grab your Bible instead of grabbing your phone. Hey, neurons, wake up. Imagine if on the way to work, you chose to listen to worship music rather than talk radio. Hey, neurons, did you hear that? This is the truth I'm standing on. Hey, neurons, did you get that? Did you hear that? God is faithful. He's good. He's kind. We have to protect what we allow to come into our minds daily. You only get to come in here and speak into it if it's what God's word says. Daily we re- are rebuilding God's definition of truth. His definition of his definition of love, not some distorted, perverted lie that the world is telling us. Hey world, deconstruct this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. What if that was our foundation? What if that was our truth? What if that was our hope? No other voices, no other voices but Jesus' voice. every head bowed and every eye closed this morning if you're in a place where maybe you've believed some lies a place where you have allowed you have allowed the devil to tell you things that are not true can I pray for you this morning would you just raise your hand this morning so I can pray over you hands all over Heavenly Father, right now I ask that you come and you begin to speak your truth right now. Your truth says that they are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Your truth says that no weapon formed against them will prosper. The weapon may come, but it cannot prosper because your word says no. God, I ask that you let their minds, God, just let them rest on whatever is good. Whatever is kind, whatever is lovely, whatever is a good report, if it's excellent and praiseworthy, let them think on those things. And Father, give them them the courage, the courage to take those thoughts captive that they know aren't from you. Father, I ask that you surround them with people. God, with people that will hold them up, that will hold their arms up and hold them up to the standard that you've called them to be, Jesus. Give us courage to be those people, Father. We're so grateful. So grateful that you love us this way. God, your word tells us that we are in your thoughts, that you think about us, that you know us and you love us, and we're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you guys, it's been a fun day, and I've loved worshiping with you guys. Just a couple of things before we go next week. Next week, we are celebrating our 12th anniversary of the Exchange Church. How exciting is that? God has moved and been so good in those 12 years, and I'm so excited that we're going to get an opportunity to celebrate that. So make plans to be here. It's going to be such a fun time. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Now that you've been to church, go be the church.